Welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast of Hill Country Bible Church, Georgetown. The podcast bringing you biblical messages that encourage you to put Christ at the center of everyday life. We're here to help you engage in the local church and to invite you into a life that matters through Jesus. If you have any questions about your next step, visit us online at hillcountry.life. And now for today's message. Well, good morning, everybody. Well, is that baptism exciting? Is there anything more exciting than seeing someone get baptized? Man, that is just so, so awesome. So I want to thank you guys for being here. I want to welcome everybody who's watching online as well. And let me just begin with this. There's this guy by the name of Mortimer J. Adler. You may have heard the name. He wrote a classic book. It's called How to Read a Book. And in his work, he makes this insightful observation. He says, the one time people read for all they're worth is when they're in love and are reading a letter from their beloved. And Adler goes on to say that folks reading love letters, they analyze every single word. Like they even read between the lines and the margins. The reader becomes sensitive to context and ambiguity to insinuation and all these different kinds of things. And I want you to listen carefully to what he has to say here. He says, remember those first love letters you received? Your heart began to race. You could smell her perfume. You held it gently and ravaged each word with your eyes. You stopped breathing as the words created an alternate reality. You were removed from the moment and immersed in a world where letters have the power to free you or even crush you. Remember how you poured over the words, letter by letter, word by word, thought by thought. No matter how many times you read it, it still made your heart skip. A young man who has just received his first love letter may read it three or four times, but he is just beginning. To read it accurately as he would like would require several dictionaries and a good deal of work with a few experts in entomology, okay? But he'll do okay without these etymology experts. He'll do all right without them. He will ponder the exact shade of meaning of every word, every comma. She headed the letter, Dear John. What, he asked himself, is the exact significance of those words? Like, did she refrain from saying dearest because she was bashful? Would my dear have sounded too formal? Maybe she would have said dear so-and-so to anybody. A worried frown now appears on his face. But it disappears as soon as he gets to thinking about the first sentence. Uh, She certainly wouldn't have written that to anybody. And so he works his way through the letter, one moment perched blissfully on a cloud, and the next moment huddled miserably behind an eight ball. It has started a hundred questions in his mind. He could quote it by heart. In fact, he will to himself for weeks to come. People, God desires for us to know him personally. And so he has written us a letter, a love letter of sorts. It's called the Bible. And it is a revelation of his heart, of his mind, of his very being. And if we're going to accomplish our mission as a church, helping imperfect people do life with this perfect God so they can live the best life possible, then we have to get to know who God is. And there is no other foolproof way to know who God is than by diving into this book right here. Did you know that the most common term the Bible uses to describe itself is the word of God? The word of God. So when the Bible speaks, 
God speaks. And Hill Country Bible Church is a Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church. If anyone asks you, hey, what kind of church is Hill Country Bible Church? It's very simple. We're a Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church. We believe the Bible taught accurately, interpreted accurately, is our guide. It's our authority. Like we have no man-made creeds, no other outside governing board telling us how to do church. We're under the authority of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. So the Bible is the Word of God. Some people, though, deny the Bible. They deny that fact. You may know people like that. Maybe there are a few in here. But if you think about denying the Bible, it's kind of like me saying, you know, I deny the fact that there is a two-foot drop-off from this stage to the floor right here. Like, I'm sorry, I just don't buy it. I'm just going to step forward here and show you that that's not the case. Now, if I did that, I would fall, probably hurt myself. I mean, I don't care how much I disagree or deny the fact that there's a drop-off there. There is a drop-off here. Like, this stage is what it is. Well, the Bible is what it is. You can say, I don't believe it, but it's still the Word of God. So some people deny the Bible. Others distort the Bible. Like, they'll take a sentence or a paragraph out of context, build an entire theology around that, even an entire false religion around that. Many churches and cults throughout our world have all this bogus theology because they've distorted the Bible. You know, others dissect the Bible. You know, they treat the Bible kind of like you would a math book. You know, every once in a while, some scientist will make a discovery that validates the Scriptures. And inevitably, someone will come up to me and say, Brian, did you hear about that scientist that made that discovery that validates God's Word, that validates the Scriptures? Man, Brian, that must give you more faith in the Bible. And I'm thinking, not really. It gives me more faith in that scientist. I mean, it's cool and all, but I already believe the Bible. I already have faith in the Bible. God's Word is valid. It doesn't need validating. You know, the biggest thing that I struggle with, the biggest thing that you struggle with, it's probably not denying the Bible or distorting the Bible or dissecting the Bible. It's disregarding the Bible. You know, most of us, if we were honest, if the truth were known and we put all of our behavioral cards out on the table, this is what we struggle with the most, disregarding the Bible, at least portions of the Bible. And here's how we do this. We, we kind of read along in the Bible and, and things are cool and, and we agree and we like stuff. And then all of a sudden we come to a passage like, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Ooh, wait a minute. That, you know, that requires sacrifice. I mean, laying down my life for my husband and not just uh, my wife. I, I wouldn't not just die for her, but every day being a living sacrifice for my wife. You know, I don't like that. So I'm just going to disregard that. Well, I'm not, I'm not done. Yeah. Wives, submit to your husbands. Whoa. I don't know what that word submit means. I don't like it. Just the sound of that submit. No, no, we're going to cancel that right here and now. That's gone. Okay, let's see here. That's good. It's good. Oh, if a man looks lustfully at a woman, he's committed adultery with her. What? That, that, that's like impossible. We're going to disregard that one. Oh, give, give, the Bible says, give joyfully and sacrificially to the Lord. Ka-ching! Yeah, I really don't like that one, right? So, so what is it that we're doing here? It, what, what we do is this. We kind of read through the Bible, and we just disregard the commands we don't like, the ones that are tough for us to handle. And, and some of you out here, you're really disturbed right now. You say, I can't believe Brian just ripped apart the Bible. But how do you think God feels? when we rip apart his word with our behavior, like what's the difference? I mean, if we're not going to follow it, why is it even in here in the first place? 
And yes, this Bible was messed up to start with, so you can take a deep breath, okay? <laughs> but I think we all, we have our own versions of the Bible, don't we? If we're honest. Like we have our own versions, and when we have our own versions, our lives to that degree become a perversion. So what I want to challenge you to do is to pick up the pieces, pick up the pages of scriptures, and put them back into your Bible. And come to grips with what it means to live under the authority of God's word. <clears throat> Proverbs 28.9 says, if anyone, okay, the Hebrew word anyone here, it, it means anyone, all right? <clears throat> Just FYI. If anyone turns a deaf ear to the law, those are the commands of God in the Old Testament, even his prayers are detestable. Whew. That's a convicting verse. If I turn a deaf ear to portions of the Bible, right, then, then God's like, whew, your prayers are detestable. He turns a deaf ear to my prayers. You know, whenever we disregard portions of Scripture, we're editing the Bible. And because the Bible is the Word of God, you know what we're doing? We're actually editing God himself. So we get into trouble when we disregard portions of the Bible. Now, let's spend a few minutes defining exactly what the Bible is. First of all, as I said earlier, the Bible is a love letter. Hey, the Bible is a letter, a collection of letters. And let me let Jeremiah 31.3 unpack this thought. This is God speaking, and he says, I have loved you. I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with loving kindness. You know, the Bible is God's means of communicating his great love to us. When Wendy and I were dating, she sent me love letters, and I would read them over and over again. Why? Because she wrote them personally to me, and it fired me up to know that a girl loved me as much as I loved her. Well, this book right here is, is a bunch of love letters, and this book is all about love from beginning to end. It's about God loving us so much that he rescued us from eternal peril. He came to this earth. He died in our place on the cross. And did you know that if you're a believer in Jesus, all of you here have put your faith in Jesus, there's absolutely nothing you can do, nothing I can do to make God love us more or to make God love us less. Nothing. Nothing can separate us from this perfect love that God has. Look at Romans 8. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's how much God loves you. Did you know that Psalm 56.8 speaks of God collecting our tears in a bottle? He pays attention to every tear you shed. He cares about you that much. And he's written you a bunch of letters to remind you of his love, to guide you, to protect you from hurting yourself, from hurting others. You know, God wants what's best for you. And every single word in this book right here, it's written for our well-being. It's written for us. But the question is, you know, are you reading God's letters to you? Like some of us know about the Wall Street Journal more than we know about this book or the Austin American Statesman or Cosmopolitan Magazine, whatever it is. I mean, do you believe every single word in those other magazines or publications? Nobody does. How many of you believe in the Word of God? Most of us do. So let's dive deeper into God's love letters. Read them over and over again. So the Bible is first and foremost a love letter. Second, the Bible is a light. 
Look at Psalm 119, 105. It says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. You know, God has given us a light to guide us in our journey through this world. How many of you have ever woke up in the middle of the night and you tried to navigate your way across a totally pitch black room? Would you raise your hand? Okay, let me see. Yeah. Okay, how many of you thought you could make it to your destination just by feeling your way there and you crashed into something and you hurt yourself, right? Yeah, it's not exactly the safest way to navigate, is it? And yet that's how so many people go through life. They go through life in the dark. And God is saying, I got this halogen lamp for you. It's called the Bible. I love you. I don't want you stumbling around. I want to guide you. See, the Bible will guide your decisions. If you find yourself confused, lacking direction in life, spend more time in God's word. Now, something worth noting here is that a lamp only gives you a few steps of light at a time, like just enough to keep moving forward. That's called walking by faith. And it explains why we need a daily intake of God's word to keep moving forward. The Bible is a light, and without it, we'll stumble around. Without it, we will make foolish choices. Look at Proverbs 28, 26. He who trusts in himself is a fool. Have you ever trusted in yourself? Yeah, I have. And I've made some dumb, what was I thinking kind of moves. Usually happens whenever I try to please Brian, whenever I do what Brian wants, what Brian thinks is best. You know, down in the Bahamas, they actually have a phrase for whenever you're doing something stupid. They don't say stupid. What they say is, hey, mom, don't be playing fool. Right? Don't be playing fool, mom. Well, too many times in my life, I have been playing fool, right? And you have too. You say, well, how do you play fool? You play fool when you follow your own wisdom, when you follow your own ways, rather than the ways God prescribes in this book. Look again at Proverbs 28, 26. He who trusts in himself is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom is kept safe. So the Bible is a love letter. The Bible is a light. How about another one? The Bible is lunch, okay? I'm keeping with that L alliteration. Just roll with me here. All right, it's working. It's working for me. All right, so years ago, we had this very destructive little dog. Her, her name was Coco. And anytime you would leave Coco unattended, okay, inevitably, she would get into the trash. She would get into our closets, and she would chew whatever she could find to smithereens, okay? I actually did an inventory after our first year of having Coco. She destroyed eight very nice pairs of shoes. She preferred leather, right? That was her specialty. Several pairs of glasses. She got into our youngest son's brand new context, $300 of context. Just popped every single one open. Enjoyed the salty taste of the saline, I'm sure. She was a destructive force, okay? Now, one day, we actually caught Coco chewing the pages out of a Bible, Okay? And she was literally eating the Word of God. Now, my hope was it would somehow get into her life and transform her. <laughs> but we were sitting there with my wife and I. We watched that. We said, what, what a great word picture right here. Because we're all supposed to feed on, we're to eat the Word of God. Check out Jeremiah chapter 15, verse 16. It says, when your words came, I what? Say it with me. I ate them. They were my joy and my heart's delight, for I bear your name, O Lord God Almighty. See, we're called to take in the word of God regularly, but we don't just take it in and that's all. Right? It's supposed to nourish us so that we take action, so that we apply it to our lives. Christianity is not just about feeding yourself. 
It's about getting out and making some kind of difference in this world. Folks, if all you do is just eat and eat and eat and eat and you never get it out, you get spiritual constipation, okay? There's your word picture. Yeah, that's what happened. I've been in a lot of churches with a lot of people who are spiritually obese, spiritually constipated, because they're taking the word in, but they're not living it out. And we want to find a healthy balance as a church. You will starve without a regular intake of God's word, but you'll become obese and constipated if you don't get it out, if you don't put the practical portions into practice. You know, serving, sharing your faith, stuff like that. You know, that's why our preaching here is designed to be relevant to life and to challenge you to get off your blessed assurance and do something. Do something with the truths of God's word. I know, terrible. That was bad. <laughs> you thought, okay. You know, we want to feed you the deep truths in here, the meat of God's word. But we also want to encourage you to let it change your life, not just your understanding. The cool thing about our church, we have a diet and exercise church. We take the Bible in and we exercise it out. You know, a lot of Christians, they want a Bible study on the book of Revelation. And that's fine as long as you're also being a revelation. You know, a Bible study on the Good Samaritan is okay, but you should ask yourself the question, am I being a Good Samaritan? Like, why do you eat? Why do I eat? Well, it's to give us calories, to give us energy to go and do stuff. So we feed on the word, and then we have to step out and actually do something. You find a place to go and serve. So the Bible's a love letter. The Bible's a light. The Bible is lunch. How about one more? The Bible is life. Look at Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Folks, the Greek word living here is the word from which we get our English term zoo. You ever been to a zoo before? Okay. Assuming it's a halfway decent zoo, it should contain things that are living, that are alive, right? I hope so. Well, the Bible is living and active. It was alive 2,000 years ago for the Christians in the first century. And guess what? It is still alive, just as living, just as active in the year 2022. You know, oftentimes someone will come up to me after a message and go, man, Brian, I can't believe what you just said. Like, have you been following me around? Have you been reading my emails? I mean, I needed that exact message. It's as if you were speaking directly to me. And people, when that happens, that, that, that's not me, okay? It's not Jason. It's not Troy. It's the living word of God. It's because it's alive. It's active. Now, we have the opportunity to preach with the authority of an apostle or a prophet. You know why? Well, we're certainly not apostles or prophets, but we can preach with that authority because we're preaching their very words. We're simply men of God preaching the living word of God. You know, something supernatural does take place. Let me just say this. I, the Bible talks about this. Something supernatural does take place when someone gets up corporately and opens up the word. Someone who's called by God opens up the word and begins to share it. And when that happens, I'm telling you, it's the Holy Spirit. It's not me. Now, my role is simple, to preach life. And what is life? This book right here, the Word of God. You know, if I don't teach the Bible, you might as well go to a Tony Robbins seminar, 
some other motivational preacher, speaker. Because without the power of God behind my preaching, my words are just empty, meaningless chatter. And I got to tell you, I take this calling, I take this position seriously because I know, according to the Bible, that one day I'm going to have to give an account before God about how I taught from the Scriptures. And I don't want to hang my head in shame and say, well, God, I guess I didn't prepare enough or I wasn't accurate enough or I didn't preach the whole counsel of your word. I don't want that. 1 Peter 4.11 says, if anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. Boy, the only way I know to stay true to that truth, truth is, is to study and preach directly from this book right here. This book is life. I love 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. It says, all Scripture is God-breathed. All Scripture is theonoustos, is what it says in the Greek. Every word in here is breathed out by God, so you can count on it. It's all good. God never has bad breath, okay? No halitosis with God. And what does God breathe mean? It means that in the original manuscripts, maybe not your English translation, in the original manuscripts, it's inerrant, totally without error. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching. Okay, that's what we're doing right now. Rebuking. Uh-oh, rebuking? Yeah, the Bible tells you when you're doing something off. Correcting, how to get back on track. And training in righteousness. Teaches us how to live holy, righteous lives. Proverbs 6.23 says, For these commands are a lamp, this teaching is a light, and the corrections of discipline are the way to life. So the Bible is a love letter, the Bible is a light, the Bible is lunch, and the Bible is life. Okay, real quick, before we close here, let me give you some practical ways to get the most out of the Bible. First of all, let me encourage you to study it through. You know, when you start studying this book, you know what will happen? It'll start to study you. So study it through. I want to challenge you, over the next 30 days, spend at least five minutes a day reading your Bible. Just pick any book, any letter in here. I would recommend the Gospel of John and just study it through. Second, let me encourage you to pray it in. You know, many times I know what I should do as a believer, but I, I just might not feel like doing that. Might not feel like following God's commands. And you're the same way comes back to that whole disregarding the Bible thing. I mean, sometimes we just don't want to give. Sometimes we don't, we don't want to serve. We don't want to go share our faith. What do you do then? Well, that's when you need to pray, God, 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 just give me the want to, to obey you and apply this to my life. So read a portion of Scripture and then pray it into your life. Third, you've got to live it out. Folks, the Bible was not just written for information. It was written for our transformation. And here's a good saying for you. Information without application is an abomination that leads to constipation, okay? You can take that and run with it. In fact, I think this would make a really good liturgical reading. Let's just say this together. Here we go. Yeah, you can do this. Information without application is an abomination that leads to constipation. Very good. Amen. You know, that's why whenever we teach here at our church, we want to get the word into your system and make sure it gets out of your system. Take the word in and live it out. And then fourth, pass it on. You know, we're supposed to pass on what God has done in our lives. It's been said, we are simply beggars telling other beggars where to find bread. And the Bible tells us to instruct one another. Like, you don't have to be a pastor to do that. 
a teacher to do that, an evangelist to do that. We can all instruct one another. So let's go through these. Study it through, pray it in, live it out, and pass it on. That's the way to get the most out of God's love letter to you. Let's pray. Lord, as I think about the necessity of your word and what a blessing it is that you have penned for us this beautiful, beautiful letter, that you have brought together a collection of books and letters to show us your incredible love from beginning to end. And I thank you that not only do we know that there's a God who loves us, but we also know that there's a God who desires to give us light in this dark world. A God who desires to give us nourishment, food, to equip us, to empower us, to energize us, to strengthen us. As Jesus said, man, it's not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. And I thank you as well that your word is living, it's active, that you can take the truth and apply it to our lives today because this is not just ink on a page. This is something supernatural. So God, encourage us all to study it through, pray it in, live it out, and pass it on. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, you guys have a great holiday weekend. We'll see you next week.